Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insiders, January 18th, Thursday. And I we have a full crew today. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley, John Bryce, Pete Sampson of The Athletic, John Bryce also with Football Scoop. And it's a big day uh, this weekend. It's a big weekend for Notre Dame, Junior Day. I, guys, I, I, I'm not good about, you know, as it pertains to this is the best ever or this compared to that group, all I know is when I look at this list of junior day guys coming in, not only the the 12 players, I believe it's 12 out of 14 that are verbally committed to Notre Dame, but the ones that are visiting with the Notre Dame has a shot at. This is a this is a really big group. This is a testament to Marcus Freeman's work and the work of the, the coaching staff. Yeah, I would I would say that this is a direct reflection of the um, emphasis Marcus Freeman has placed on recruiting, even all the way back to 21 when he was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator and he started changing the way that Notre Dame approached defensive recruiting. This is just further manifestation of Marcus's emphasis on recruiting and recruiting earlier and getting guys to campus earlier. Um, it's Marcus and Chad Bowden working hand-in-hand hand, um, on all of this and and then deploying from there. But this is this doesn't happen by accident, and this is frankly, to your point, Tim, uh, they've gotten better and better each year under Marcus Freeman. This is the latest culmination of that because it's been intentional and it's been so long going, and this is a staff that's really adept at building and fostering and maintaining relationships. And uh, when you can get this many kids to come to South Bend and it's not been above freezing in over a week, that tells you the strength of the relationships. I think it'd be a good, my point was going to be that getting them in early and getting on it and none of that scrambling at the end is, is what's kind of key at, at this, that you see the change from Freeman. Um, to the point last year where I, I ended up liking some of the three-star guys, but they got in really early on some guys that I would have thought you could have extended out. But when you start going down the film and you think, well, that's that's their personal preference and I can kind of see it there. Um, we've talked about that in the past, Tim. When we tried to review this past actual class, like there were more. I'm talking about 24, no, not 25, because it's a little different in 25. There were more, quote unquote, sleepers that have to hit in 24. And I think you're getting ahead of that game a little bit in 25. Yeah, among the players that are verbally committed that will be arriving this weekend, Ivan Taylor, the safety, he's sensational. Quarterback Deuce Knight, defensive lineman C.J. May, which is a little bit iffy as far as his total commitment to Notre Dame. But I really like defensive end Chris Burgess Jr. Really like offensive tackle Will Black. There's cornerback uh, Cree Thomas coming in town. And then some of these other guys, I mean, de de corner the cornerback uh, uh, Dallas Golden, Cornerback Mark Zachary the fourth. <laughs> I think offensive tackle Jack Lang, uh, Jack Lang is sensational. So is Edge Damian Shanklin. I'm not sure that McCutcheon's making it in. That might be a late scratch. Some other people there, but Pete, you're you're a little bit familiar with uh, Owen Strebig from um, Wisconsin. Uh, his there's a story out this week that was that was pretty interesting on him. Uh, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, my colleague Jesse Temple at the Athletic uh, went up and visited him, and I mean the the recruiting coordinator there flat out told him to get the kid who's going to Notre Dame in Wisconsin is essentially hanging on and trying to get back in it with a new offensive line coach. Um, so it's, I think they, I mean Notre Dame may get to a point on it with offensive line recruiting this class where they they turn somebody down who's really really good, um, which is a healthy place to be. And I'd see you know just from the organizational standpoint, it's like if you get ahead on twenty three, it gives you a chance to get ahead on twenty four. 
And then when you get ahead on 24, it gives you a chance to be ahead on 25. So that's sort of where they are right now. Um, you know, they've had the number one class at some point each of the last three cycles. They are they're not going to finish number one, but if you get your work done early uh, and find players that fit Notre Dame, I talked to Nate Kia about this, the father of Ko'o and uh, Kahanu this week. I said, like, why do why do you think Notre Dame is number one in the country with commitments this early, three years in a row? And he's just like. I think people that look at Notre Dame, it, because it's so different than anything else, it's easier to figure out, all right, I, I like Notre Dame more than I would like Michigan or Texas or Georgia or USC, whereas if you're looking at those other schools, they may seem more similar. So I think that the staff has done a good job very quickly figuring out who fits here, who doesn't. Let's focus on the guys that do. Uh, and not try to overextend ourselves. And that's, that's how you end up with few decommitments and a, a really nice organizational process. Pete, were you saying uh, you would have to turn down talented offensive linemen after getting to five? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. That, that, that's fine. You can't turn down a talented offensive lineman if he makes number five, though. You just, no, no. You find a way to do something different. And <laughs> he's yeah, on the team. That's, that's, that's there the will way be it a works. surprise of a, a kid who, Maybe it's like, oh, you know what? I think I want to stay closer to home. And like yeah. that always happens. Right. But right. Um, there's just like the offensive line board. And they've had many very healthy looking offensive line boards over the last 10, 12 years. This is this is another one of those. Yeah, it is. And I tell you what, um, I think most football, college football fans remember the name Plaxico Burris. Uh, his son, Elijah Burris, is expected to be in town this weekend. And he's still just kind of growing into his body. But I think his ceiling is is really, really massive. Yeah, Tim. His dad just scored again on Notre Dame. Plexico. He may have. He may have. Again. You know, Pete, you mentioned uh, Nate Kia and, and his, his two kids. And I think we have a, we, do we have a, I don't know. We have a question somewhere about, uh, you know, these, some of these guys from Hawaii, the way they're rated. I mean, Ko Kia is 569. You've got to be kidding me. And I don't know if it's because of the mission, which he may not take. I don't know, Pete, if you talked to I asked, about that. I asked the dad. Um, he said that Kahanu and Ko are wired very differently. Uh, Kahanu knew that he wanted to take a mission way before he met another yeah. name, and Ko does not. Um, yeah. That's not to say he won't, but that's right. not where his mind has uh, been. So, so Kahanu is back, and, you know, we've seen in the past that they're going on a mission. It's like, oh, he's never going to show up again. So here Kahanu yeah. is going to. <laughs> yeah. he, so he actually is going to. So there's now a renewed faith in the ability. Okay, you get this guy and maybe usually they go on their mission first, right? And then and whereas Kahanu played a year and then left. But, I mean, I think he's a, he's a heck of a prospect, whether you play him at linebacker. He did a lot of stuff off the edge. He was outstanding on special teams. And I think Cole is – shot out of a cannon when you watch his kids. So those two are really exciting. And I just, I, I wanted to start with the junior day because as I look at this and guys like, you know, Tom Loy and, and Kevin Sinclair can speak to it better than, than I can or we can, but um, man, this is a good group coming in. Now, uh, a couple of days ago, it was announced that Pete Bavacqua will be taking over duties on April 1st. Did I get that right? Am I saying that right? April 1st, right? Yeah, JB? Probably that's right. Yeah, April yeah. 1st. Uh, and Jack Swarbrick will become AD Emeritus here shortly thereafter or right around there. And um it's I mean it, it was a bit of an unusual 
crowning for him ahead of time. But like JB, you were talking about getting ahead of, or to Pete, you were talking about getting ahead of the game and recruiting. They got ahead of the replacement for uh, for Jack Swarbrick, and I think it's been good. I, I I've gotten to know Bavakwa a little bit. I haven't had a one on one interview with him. I'm sure Pete, you have, and JB maybe as well. Um, but I, I I just think that Notre Dame did did the right thing here in finding their man, getting him a uh, a, a quote internship with the position at Notre Dame. And now he can, I think he's got a much better chance of hitting the ground running on April 1st. I was just going to interject. I love the way it was handled. I mean, it's a unique situation because Swarbrook was so in there long enough to be ensconced and everything. And I think that was the proper way of doing it, but I wasn't going to use the word internship, but Tim, that's, that's part of it. I mean, it was, he can actually hit the ground running because he, he was, he, he's been, he's been hitting the ground. He's on the ground. So it's uh, he he should be running by now. Yeah, it's. I mean, talking to some coach outside of football, talking to coaches at Notre Dame, uh, they've been impressed with him. And I'm talking about Olympic sport coaches, where like maybe the the attention it doesn't automatically go there if you're a new AD because you're like, I got to get football right, and then I got to get basketball. Well, I'm talking to coaches who are in Olympic sports who are a little bit more off the grid. They've been impressed with Bavakwa so far. Um, so I think that it's a good. It will be a. a a shot of energy, I think, into the the department um, to have some new leadership there. And I, I've not talked to anyone who's met Bavaku who who's not been impressed by him. Yeah, and I would I would merely add uh, along those lines, Pete. You're right. Their energy, I think, is the word that I keep hearing the most from coaches across multiple sports. There's an excitement there for Pete's enthusiasm uh, that he has for all all the sports, seemingly not just football or, or men's and women's basketball or, or what have you. Um, there's a genuine excitement there and there's excitement, excitement around the campus um, that he's going to bring a new dynamic uh, to fundraising, a bit more open to the fundraising elements of the job. And that that's something that um, they feel he's going to be well-versed in certainly his background, not only in, in the world of television, but in sports agency and re- representation gives him some unique perspective. So yeah, I think excitement is the term that I hear from overwhelmingly to describe Pete and the onset of, of the Pete Bavacqua era at Notre Dame. Yeah, let's go ahead and swallow that question we had in segment two uh, from Terry Benedict about Jack Swarbrick. Did many great things for Notre Dame. It's it's sports teams in the surrounding area. Moving forward, in what areas of the school can you see Pete Bavacqua improving? And that is it exactly. Fundraising, uh, that means NIL. That way they could spend a billion dollars on players to make everybody happy um, and and get Caleb Downs and every high-priced player out there. Notre Dame should spend more money than every single college in in college football. Um, I'm being a jerk. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, right, Pete? I mean, that's an area where things should really pick up for Notre Dame. But I mean, Bavak was, uh, whether you want to call it a uh, bedside manner or uh, ability just to relate to people is unique. And I think that will show in fundraising. Like when you are going to write a check to Notre Dame, you want to be convinced and someone to tell you a story about why you should do it. I think Bavak was a storyteller will be phenomenal. Um, and I think his ability to rate, relate to people and just be a, kind of a, a normal guy and yet the athletic director of Notre Dame is 
going to be pretty powerful with a lot of these people um, who want, you know, kind of more of a personal connection. I think Bavak will deliver that. I was pretty excited about the first billion dollar quarterback coming to Notre Dame <laughs> when Tim was talking there, but that's, uh, I guess there's going to have to be million dollar quarterbacks from I now mean, on. But putting it in realistic terms, I mean, you can't just spend more than everybody and expect to have a level of, of chemistry within your team. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a fine line there. There's a balancing act and, and, uh, and, and just outbidding people to come to Notre Dame and then them not actually being a fit and only coming to Notre Dame because they got more money than somebody, somebody else is willing to offer them is it, it it's outrageous. And and first of all, Notre Dame's not going to outbid everybody in the country. Yeah, JB. No, I was just going to say this actually ties back in to our opening of this podcast on the junior day. Uh, maybe an element we didn't touch on enough. These junior days have proved critical for how Notre Dame holds its classes together under Marcus Freeman. And when you look at this similar weekend a year ago, three of the headliners for the Notre Dame junior day were uh, CJ Carr and Neus Williams uh, and, and Cam. And so when you look at those three centerpiece recruits on your 2024 signing class from offense, well, this January weekend a year ago, they were on campus for a Notre Dame junior day. And Notre Dame ended up not losing any decommitments as the 2024 class went down to the wire and Notre Dame wrapped its its work on that group. So I think that, um, again, that ties back to the importance of the junior days is a further extension of the culture that Marcus Freeman has worked so hard to create in his program and, and that unity. And that also is why Notre Dame is so selective in the transfer portal, among other reasons. It's a like we, we try to explain that Notre Dame is a different culture than other places. And and that just goes unheeded many times. But if you've been in and around the program and the school the way all of us have been, uh, you you have to account for the fact that Notre Dame's different. I people don't want to hear that, but but it's different. It's a different environment. It's unique, and it requires a a special kind of treatment that doesn't match state schools. It it never has, and it never will. I want to wrap up this segment with um, a. a a little project that O'Malley and I worked on the, the top 50 players of the year. It's fun to do. Uh, you get down to the, you get down to the bottom 10 or, or I should say the top 10. And um, you start to realize, and I wrote about this in today's Thursday thoughts, man, it's really, it, you almost have to, it's really difficult to lose three times when you look at the top 15 players in this program in 2023. Yeah, I think you could. There's two way, quick ways of explaining how um, we had the same top 10, but only one guy in the same spot for for listeners, JB and Pete. Um, we had the same 10 people, but they were all we had them all kind of intertwined. Uh, Thomas Harper was our number 10 for both of us. And our number 11 is the reason I think Notre Dame could have lost three games because it was the same guy as well. And it was Sam Hartman. And he makes the third offensive player on the list when you get to number 11. So. I can narrow down exactly what helped them lose at least one extra game of that group. But I would say it was the Clemson game and perhaps, and the Louisville game is I, I put Ohio state in a totally different category of like, that's just one team, won, one team lost. I don't blame the offense. I don't blame anything. Um, I blame the offense on the Clemson and Louisville games. And so let me just insert and in, in, in Pete and JB jump in here then. I mean that, okay, here's the, here's the top 15 and think about how productive they were. And I, we can talk about Sam Hartman, whatever, but, 
15 on down, Chris Tyree, Maris Leofile, Jack Kaiser, Mitchell Evans, Sam Hartman, Thomas Harper, J.D. Bertrand, Riley Mills, Cam Hart, Benjamin Morrison, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Xavier Watts, Howard Cross, Audric Estime, Joe Alt. Good God. Yeah. I mean, it's a good group. Uh, I, you know, and, and I would agree with O'Malley that Hartman's not being in the top 10 is significant of why they went nine and three. I would say Blake Fisher not being in the top 15 would also be a yeah, pretty I had significant. him 15, but that's, I had, he was six, he was 16, but I agree. He with needed to be a top 10 player. Yes. No doubt. He did. And I and had him there in the preseason close. and I was wrong. I think I wrote um, that in Monday musings. I was wrong on that one. I think so all, yeah, I mean, JJB over, overachieved. He was phenomenal. Um, but I think you, you needed Blake Fisher and Sam Hartman to be like surefire top 10 guys. And if they were, I think we'd be talking about Notre Dame having been in a new year six game and not the Sumble. Yeah. I mean, you figured Thomas Harper and JD Bertrand can be 11 and 12 and you're absolutely totally fine. If Sam Hartman's four and Fisher six, (laughs) like that's a, that's a great, that's a better setup. All right. We're going to be back with segment two, burning up the boards right, right after this. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first is from ND Dan 106. Junior day coverage has been great. Seems like a lot of hype. What are some reasonable expectations for fans following the visits, particularly when ND already has so many commits in the 2025 class? Yeah, there, there is a lot of hype and it's, uh, it's directly related to all the things that, that we said in the first segment, that it's a really good group, but you know, I mean, I, I, I again, uh, Tom Loy and, and, Kevin Sinclair in a better position to predict, but I think some of the guys that have shown a pretty strong lean towards Notre Dame, the first one that I would say would be Jack Lang, the offensive tackle, who I think is sensational, and he really hasn't played a whole lot of football. What he's shown is just natural uh, athletic and 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 football instincts, which is um, – Really pretty phenomenal, I, I think, at this stage of his actual playing career. And then I, I think Damian Shanklin is a guy that's shown a lot of interest in Notre Dame, and I, I love his game almost equally on the other side of the football. Um, Dallas Golden, I, I think that he jumped on board to be in, involved in this junior day pretty quickly. I, I think Elijah Burris did as well. Manny Augustine... Everybody loves Matty Augustine. I I get that. I think he needs to bend bend at the knees a little bit more because he's just kind of overpowering people in more of an upright position. But he's a quality player, and and somebody that they would absolutely like among their four five uh, offensive linemen. So those are some of the guys um, that I think they had that that they could come away with this weekend. All five, probably not, but I think those are some of the guys that I put top of the list. I like the question because I think I tried to touch on it there at the beginning. Like when you're, when you're this far ahead, it's it's okay if the hype's around those guys and you don't get every single one of them because <laughs> you've, you've done a good job already too, oh. but there's, you got to, you do have to, you do obviously have to close as Pete said, you won't finish number one, 
but you got to close better, I think, than you've closed in the previous seasons. No, I, it's I, that's a good point because I wrote about in Thursday Thoughts, Tim, that the list is so good that you're going to be disappointed when <laughs> yeah, most of them don't. Same. Most of them don't choose Notre Dame, but it's a it's a it's a really good list. I put the uh, wrong inflection in hype, but I meant it that way. <laughs> that yeah. it's, you can't really get all these guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask the next question uh, for Tim O'Malley. And it's from M Busher 96 was the 2023 season, like the 1992 season, lots of talent, great stats, somewhat disappointing. Does that mean, <laughs> does that mean the 2024 season would be like my favorite, the 1993 team? Uh, that would be interesting. Um, just to, very quickly, because I take exception to things like this, offends my delicate sensibilities when it happens. I like the theme of the question. A lot of talent, great stats, disappointing with three losses, because as Tim, you pointed out, there should not have been three losses. The 1992 team should not have had any losses. And when you talk to Rick Meyer and Reggie Brooks about that team, which I did, the first thing, I think it was Rick said it about Reggie. The first thing Rick said was, I sent him a text, I want to talk about this team. He's like, man, that team was good. That's the best one. And if you look, I want to give you some numbers. Okay. 2, 10, 17, 20, 34, 45, 7, 16, and 27. Those are the next two years drafts where Notre Dame players were taken in the draft. Wow. 2, 7, 10, 16, 17, 20, 27, 34, 45. And that doesn't even include like six more. You could get to 65. 65 is where we're saying like, I don't know, maybe he can go on day three or going to day three. That All those guys for Notre Dame were taken. That was talent. And Michigan, if you want to tie Michigan, I get it. It's fine. Michigan probably, if you, do, if you did a list with Michigan, they would probably have 10 guys in this draft too. So that's fine. I would say like the last year's Stanford. team reminded me more of 2006, right? Yes, that's like, the that's the year, 2006. Yeah. And a year later they played Georgia Tech. Next year Notre Dame plays Georgia Tech as well. So it's, you know, draw your own conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> I I've I obviously I covered the 92 season and I've always contended that I don't know if Notre Dame was the best team in the country, but they were right there at the top of that list when that season ended. There was yeah, no- that playoff would have been the best ever because oh. Notre a- Alabama was undefeated and beat undefeated Miami. Um, that was a defending co-champ. And Notre Dame was just as good as either one of them at the end of the year. That would have been an amazing playoff. That could probably be a, an own podcast of itself just to look at what the 1990s playoffs could have been. Even a, even a four-team playoff through the nineties would have had some magnificent ones. And certainly um, some of those Notre Dame teams would have been right there in the four, along with um, a couple of times that Steve Spurrier just owned Tennessee and Peyton right. Manning and Peyton Manning uh, never got to play for a title really. So there would have been some compelling, like, like that old Florida Notre Dame sugar bowl. Imagine that being a playoff game. You know why uh, Peyton Manning came back for a fourth year, right? Uh, John. Why is that, T.O.? To be the only four-time MVP of the Citrus Bowl. That was, uh, <laughs> oh, that was Steve ouch. Spurrier's line on Peyton Manning. <laughs> oh, ouch. Good. Nobody had barbs quite like Steve Spurrier. No. He, had, he had them at the, well, maybe Lou Holtz, but uh, Spurrier definitely had them. Man, think, how about that? How about those two personalities in the in the Sugar Bowl? Um, that was a, that was a, I, I was at that game. Of course, that was a. That was an awesome game, a real statement game by Notre Dame that year. Question from NDFan08. Over, under, number of times Notre Dame makes the 12-team playoff in the next five seasons. NDFan08 sets that over, under at 2.5. Ouch. 
That's a good line. That's a great one. Um, I fully expect one coming up because of the schedule helps. So I will say over to that number, but you're not going to like my next answer. You'll say you'll say over to two and a half. You think you think Notre Dame gets three playoff bids in the next five years? Three out of twelve, but I say under to the number of wins. I didn't ask that question yet. Okay, well I'll I'll ruin it for people. <laughs> the second the second question was number of wins in the playoffs for Notre Dame over the next five seasons, and again, Indy Indy fan 08 set it at that at three point five. I mean, we talk about how it's a a big failure if they don't make the 12-team playoff next year with the defense they have coming back and then Riley Leonard. So that means they got to make two out of four. (laughs) That's how I'm looking at it. (laughs) I will – I'll take the under on the two-and-a-half question. I think Notre Dame will make it twice in the next five years. I'll take the over and think that Notre Dame will notch four wins along the way. So, um, you know, there you go. That's that's I'm going under over. I'm sorry. I'm going to agree with John on this one. I, but I, I don't have a lot of conviction on what happens in 2026. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the beauty of this. Yeah. Yeah. We are frequently asked questions about the starting quarterback in 2025 before we've even had spring practice of 2024. You Um, know, it would be great, Tim, is if they made it under 2.5 times, but won five games. Well, that yes, that would that would be a uh, uh, salve for the wound because if we're saying that they they definitely and I'm we're saying it I'm saying it they definitely should make the playoffs in 2024. I think they should be a preseason. I don't know everybody. I don't know all the teams. So now I'm now I'm uh, doing right. what I don't like, but. I, I when I see what is coming back for Notre Dame, I think that's a top five, top seven team in the country. I I, I could be wrong there, but two point five. If we're saying that they're definitely going to make the playoffs this year, that would be have one to make it out, two out of four. that would be what? No, that would just be one out. If you're saying under two and a half, that would be right. one of the next four years, which would be we'd have to shut the site down for crying out loud. All I'm saying well, is, I mean, you, here's you need like five wins. This is, you know, you can throw away your way too early top 25s, which is for the sake of discussion. Stu Mandel at the Athletic came out with his way too early top 25. He's got Notre Dame at number nine, which I think pretty reasonable. You could argue maybe there should be seven, maybe it should be 10. But if they're nine, the way this breaks down, they would open the college football playoff on the road in Columbus. Hard place to win. It's a hard, hard place to get that first playoff win in a season that we think Notre Dame should definitely make the playoff. That's why my lo- that's why under is always in the playoffs is under because you have to beat those teams. You're not beating. You're not getting your revenge big win against Louisville and beating Florida yeah. State. You got to figure out a way to beat Liberty in the first round at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like my my forecast is based strictly on Notre Dame being the five or the six and yeah. getting a couple of home games. Yeah. You don't I'm like not, the Columbus. Yeah. I'm not extrapolating into winning on the road and then <laughs> reeling off some uh, Braves 2021 wild card run to the World Series. We're not talking that crap. No, sir. Hey, Bryce didn't me, like that Columbus matchup you pulled out there, Pete. That's <laughs> not just cool. Let yeah, me jump was- ahead to the question from Irish Gambler, which I, I, is pertinent to this. I should have had this back-to-back with it, but 
Some folks have Texas A&M, Florida State, Louisville, and USC in the top 10 for transfer additions. Does that change how you view the 24 schedule? It doesn't change. It doesn't change it, but yeah, I had those teams as the four harder ones anyway. <laughs> so that's yeah, the, yeah, I know, but the point is that if they if they have if they're in the top ten in transfer additions, they're that much more difficult. Well, but that's that's just transfer additions. That doesn't mean they suddenly have a top ten roster. In my opinion, that just means they've been uh, rated as among the the ten best free agency classes. Right, uh, but you would you would yeah. you would agree those are Notre Dame's four toughest games. For sure, for sure, I would agree, and I think it's much tougher for A and M, or I mean, for Notre Dame to open at A and M now with Mike Elko, yes, uh, because you're going to have a complete culture change. But you also can't overlook the fact that A um, and M is now rated as one of the top ten best classes in in transfers. But they also lost what twenty two guys, yeah, off the past roster to the portal. Not to mention some guys that have declared for the NFL. So it's going to be a hard game. It's all it was always going to be a hard game. I think it's made a little tougher. With the arrival of Mike Elko, I still think, standing here today, Notre Dame has a better team. Yeah, I mean, look, Notre Dame is probably AM's toughest game too. So, <laughs> it, uh, you know, I think we always talk about like, oh, this is a tough game for Notre Dame. Well, it's a tough team, tough game for the team they're playing too. Um, Florida State and Louisville, they're at home. They you gotta be, yeah, you just have to win those games. They have to be. Gotta win. There's yes, a totally different win. conversation if they can't beat those teams at home. That's yeah. ridiculous. This yeah. this so, this absolutely should be a undefeated home schedule. Yeah, and I so think last if year, it's not, you've got problems. Yeah, think, for the sake of reference, last year's top ten and one one's kind of a throwaway because it was Colorado, obviously by numbers. Um, Colorado, Ole Miss, USC, and Auburn were the top four. Uh, Ole Miss is the best team there. The next four were LSU, Florida State, Miami, and UCLA. Florida State is clearly and deservedly the best team there. And the boy, they use the portal to their advantage. And then you had Oklahoma, Oregon, Arkansas, and Louisville. And I bring that up because Louisville's transfers had a good day against Notre Dame, though. Yeah. John, what were you going to add? I was just going to say, not only are the Florida State and Louisville games obviously here in South Bend, but... I don't think either of those teams is going to be as good next year as it was this year. And I realize uh, what Jeff Brom did was what I like to call ahead of the curve in his yeah. Louisville rebuild. And so he, he got some extra equity by being a 10-game winner and playing for the ACC title uh, ahead of schedule. But there's still work to be done at Louisville. And Louisville's still not going to have a roster that matches up with Notre Dame. And I'm not convinced that, that Louisville or Florida State will be a 10-game winner next fall because both lose so much. Well, t- were there were there not twenty nine opt outs from Florida State from for the bowl game? Now, I I don't know how yeah. many of those were were grad tra- or put their name in the portal then, but they lost. I mean, at least for that game, they lost. Uh, you know, f- thirty five. I don't know whatever percent of their roster, uh, and I don't know how many of those guys transferred. But would you guys agree point? as it as it directly affects Notre Dame next year? The transfer portal. The biggest change is Mike Elko. Is it Texas A and M? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not like Caleb Williams went to USC again. You know, that was clearly the biggest one that ever affected Notre Dame was Caleb Williams. U- USC hired a real defensive coordinator. I couldn't believe it. I was watching a bowl game and USC was tackling. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I they God, they were so awful under Alex Grinch. And 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 yet, seriously, you guys saw you, you guys at least saw some of that bowl game, right? When we were in El Paso, that it was it was striking how how 
much better of a tackling team that USC was in that in their bowl game. Didn't AM go after your favorite defensive coordinator, Tim? <laughs> Jay Bateman? Yeah. Jay Bateman. I I like maybe I, I you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but thank thank you, Mike Elko, for hiring Jay Bateman. Unfortunately, Mike Elko still is on the staff. Yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> and I don't I don't think they're uh I don't think Elko is done adding to his defensive staff. There may be news on that uh coming within the day. Okay. So he's he's still out there trying to make some big if moves. If there's if there's anybody that would know that to be JB in football. <laughs> Moving on to the next question, that is uh from Port ND. It's crazy to think the number of coaches who no longer coach college football with Jim Harbaugh most likely gone and Nick Saban now retired. Who would you now rank as your top five college football head coaches? Also, where would you place Freeman on that list despite such a small sample size? Are we talking about top five? I don't think Marcus Freeman's making No, he's asking where you might get Freeman. Okay, okay, all right. Well, I mean, Dabo. Kirby Smart is one. Yeah, Kirby Smart is one, and Dabo is two. Um, I would I would have BK. Up there, I think. Um, I would too. Third, though, right? Not ahead of Dabo. Right? No, not ahead of Dabo. No. He's never, he never yeah. won a oh, national title. But I think, five, I think BK is um, maybe his best strength is his ability to be CEO. That that's my opinion. And I've talked to coaches around who uh, have worked for him or faced him, and they talk about he has grown to let the coaches do their job and and truly take an overseer approach. So. Um, I think Kirby's a unanimous number one with yeah. with the changing of things. Dabo Dabo makes a lot of sense at number two. I've got uh, BK in there. Beyond that, it gets um, where, yeah. Where do you have Lanning? Um, Lanning is sample size for me. There's not right. enough. Yeah, there's not enough DeVore. sample size as, as you start and look at. Yeah, is top five. like that too. But DeVore. anybody that's 104 and 12, I don't. Yeah, the Boar has a sample size. It's just yeah. that some lower level places, but what he did at Washington was phenomenal. Um, you know, I think Lance Leipold would be up yeah. there. He would be top yeah. 10 for me. Where's um, Sark? Kyle Whittingham, Sarkeesian, yeah, both Whittingham top 10 for, for sure. me. Whittingham's um, in my top 10. You know, Gundy, beyond that. I probably have Gundy in, a, in my top 10 because when has he ever had a roster that most people want to swap with? Yeah, that's 10 true. games think, about every year. I think Lane, Lane Kiffin might be creeping up on that. That sample list? size is too small. Oh, Lane Kiffin is too. Yeah, that's a good call. Oh, yeah. Um one, Norvell. Norvell. Here's a good After question. Last though. year. Sample size is too small, but what if Mike Elko got the Ohio State job this offseason instead of the AM job? Where would you think that coaching circle that uh star might go? I don't think it would change where I would rank Mike Elko right now. I just don't think there's enough sample size whatsoever. He he did a nice job at Duke, and I don't want to minimize that, but he capitalized. Uh, on a changing of tides in, in within the sport in general, and then with the ACC, by and large, sucking a great deal in those two years. I would still have Ryan Day in the top 10, just like he was, I think he was viewed as a top five coach a couple years ago, and no longer is the case, but I mean, he just won too many games. Yeah, I will say on uh, Marcus Freeman, what is it now, eight wins in two years against AP-ranked opponents, the the highest number in uh notre dame history through through two years and i think uh 19 wins through his first two seasons also matches the most of any notre dame coach in his Charlie first Weiss. two years so i think i think marcus freeman we should note to have this question revisited on this same podcast a year from now and revisit where we rank marcus freeman because i think if he guides notre dame 
the playoffs this year, he probably firmly cracks the top 10 of all of our lists. I, I think he needs to win in the, in the playoff to be a top 10 coach for me. Uh, I would say if he made the playoff and won a game, then he would be a top 20 mm-hmm. coach. Um, right now, the sample size is not there for, for me. Like, you know, somebody like Josh Heupel at Tennessee. I mean, John, you know, you know, what's going on there. Like one great year came back to earth big time last year. I think, you know, he's a good, he's a good coach. I think, you know, Marcus is still getting to that. Like he's got to have one great year before we can talk about like great coach. Right. right. Well, and that's why I say Marcus is ascending because he went nine wins, 10 wins, obviously, but then also some of the things he's done, the changes he's made, the willingness to make staff changes. And you bring up a great point on Heupel. He had like a 12-win year, maybe his first year at UCF, and then he stair-stepped down. He had an 11-win year, two at Tennessee, and took a dramatic tumble back and then is headed into next year with um, an unproven but highly regarded redshirt freshman quarterback. So, yeah, I think Josh Heupel would be considered immediately a top-10 offensive mind. I would not have him a top-10 head football coach. Yeah, I wouldn't either. It's rare. It's rare at Notre Dame that the that a, a new coach inherits the kind of program that that Brian Kelly had created when when Marcus Freeman was named head coach. I mean, that's a silver spoon. That that's a silver spoon uh, starting starting time for him. Yeah, Bob Davy did. Um, Bob did. No, Bob Davy yeah. did. There's no doubt about that. And Dan Dan Devine did too. But Dan Devine won a national. National titles too. So, as you like to say, that counts, right? That does count. That absolutely does count. Tim, you're on the next question. Yep. Karsten 44. This is for Tim Priester. Gerby Lambert or Jack Lang? Who are you ranking higher, Priester? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I just, I, I like Gerby Lambert a lot. I like Gerby Lambert a lot, but I, I, I think the ceiling for Jack Lang is just a little bit higher. I don't, the great thing about this is, that especially if Jack Lang commits this weekend, I don't have to pick. They can both be on the field together for Notre Dame. I, I think those are two really, really good offensive tackles. They're both definitely tackles. Uh, but just the the progress that Lang has made in a short amount of time really blows me away. They're both definitely tackles is the most important thing you said as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt. Uh, you guys want to comment on that? Uh, just, I was laughing uh, internally that uh, you you said you don't have to choose as if you never rank anything uh, after kids. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Okay, I I'd probably to... go Gerby. Uh, yeah. I, I would go Gerby just just slightly, uh, just because I've talked to enough people that again they believe there's there's top end potential there, like next level potential. Uh, I had Gerby third in the class, so I at this point I would go Gerby too. Yeah, I had him second. There you go. Well, you oh, have to. I didn't uh, think you ranked me. Yeah, you don't rank. <laughs> yeah, got him sitting down. I rank. I I rank them. It just doesn't matter what the hell I rank. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the point. Uh, question from Mav twenty nine: The current makeup of the coaching staff and the schedule both set up positively for twenty twenty four. What individual players need to step forward to maximize this opportunity? Are we not allowed to say one of them? I don't know what you mean by Riley that. Leonard. Yeah, yeah, that'd be number one. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people yeah. you can You'd list. start with him. Let's start on the let's start on the defensive side of the ball because you've got a lot coming back there. What? Who do they need to step forward in order to fully maximize their opportunity? 
Uh, I mean, Christian Gray, is he's as good as we think he can be, Notre Dame's defense will be absolutely lights out. Absolutely lights out defense if they have another Cam Hart situation at corner with Christian Gray. They need Jaden Mickey needs to be really, he needs to be good too. Yeah. I know. I don't know if I want to pick an individual. I will say um, a rush in has to maximize somebody that rushes the quarterback, whoever, whether that's Jalen Sneed, whether that's uh, one of the other guys, whoever you want to fill in that, that to me, that position yeah. is almost as as equal to Riley Leonard. Riley Leonard to me is the clear number one that he has to take that next step that ha- that reinforces why people believe he's a a first or second day NFL draft prospect. But then the flip side of that is the defense has to have somebody that can um, rush the passer the way Isaiah Foskey did a couple of years ago with consistency. And JJB did it down the stretch. He was much better, uh, but he was not Isaiah Foskey. So as we talk about Notre Dame advancing to the playoff, maybe hosting a game, having a chance to finally win a playoff game, that to me is is absolutely critical. Whoever you want to identify as that person. Leonard won. I agree with John about the pass rush and some, I mean, that, that, that could be Batello. Like if he could treat every That's game like a bowl game, it they could need, be Batello. Um, Batello to really step forward. But then it's who, like whoever wins the nickel job is the clear number three to me. Cause in 2024, when you're playing defense, that's a starter and that is going to be a new face. It could be a transfer, uh, could be a young player. I don't know. Um, but it could be great. Yeah. Just like, it could be gray. I just feel less confident in that position than I did with Bracey or Harper the last two years. But if at the end, it was kind of hard. I mean, it was hard to know what Harper was going to be um, this time last year. He turned out to be really, really good. Um, a top 10 performance from the nickel um, that whoever that is needs to step forward. Well, that's why I say gray and Mickey both need to step forward because those you have two positions to fill. So no. whether, whether one's it, it it does it doesn't matter which one's the the, the yeah corner. I wasn't going to use Mickey because he I don't think he could play nickel in the the way they play defense. But but, but great, we, we've at least seen a great deal of those guys on the field. I would argue you go Riley Leonard, um, and then you go Rush, and then to me, I, I look at left tackle as third. Whoever that is, if if that's Jagasar, whomever it is, you have to provide Riley Leonard protection. You have to have an anchor. For your offensive line, um, I love the parts to choose from on defense, and I think we all feel there's a lot of top-end potential there. There's far more uncertainty, but optimism along the offensive line. So that would be that would be my first three. You can name every one of those young offensive linemen, Billy Shrouth. You know with the fanfare that that he's been given from a Howard Cross interview in December of 2022. Um, <clears throat> you know, he needs to take a big step up. Pat Coogan needs to take a big step up. Ashton Craig, um, you know, I mean, Rocco Spindler, if he wants to get his starting spot back, the tackles, that whole offensive line. And then you can name a boatload of receivers too. But you would just need two or three, re- two receivers to really step up, two linemen to get way, way better. You know what I'm uh, like? The rush end position, the left tackle position. I kind of like a pass rusher and. If you if you told me the three most improved players would be Batello or Traore plus Lambert, I mean, excuse me, Lambert, Derby Lambert's already starting, plus Jagasa and Baker, I'd be like, sign me up. I'll take Jagasa, Baker, and Traore as being the three most improved players on the team. Yeah, edges. 
The yeah. other side of the ball, man. Edge has got to. I guess if it. you said Jalen Sneed, that'd be even better because that would, that would be, be he's, he's a junior developed player. I, it it could be Kahanu Kia. Who who knows? I you know you don't know. Uh, question from Kay Beasley: All of the recent transfer portal additions from the playoff teams and teams that lost their coach leads me to ask whether the Irish settled and pursued too quickly and could have gotten higher end targets. It's a good question because we thought they proven right or wrong. We have no idea for months. We thought they settled quickly at nickel. Um, but I wouldn't think they settled. I don't think they settled at the other positions, not quarterback, not strong side, defensive end, not safety, not kicker. I mean, if you say settling is they stopped and didn't get that offensive tackle. I would, I wouldn't, you, you didn't settle with, Mitchell and Collins at receiver. I guess you could say that about the third receiver, but he's a quality. Harrison's a quality kick returner. He's got three career. You know, the only way I, I agree with him, I mean, <clears throat> pardon my voice here. Um, yeah, they, they jumped too early at nickel. I think with Jordan Clark. I, I think it was overall very, very healthy approach that they took. Um, it's not like they took Jordan Clark because they passed on Caleb Downs, you know, like, or they didn't take Bo Collins because they passed on Isaiah Bond. Um, these other these other teams, Texas and Georgia in particular, do a really nice job in the transfer portal. Um, so there's there's no reason to think Notre Dame is going to win all of those any more than they would in like high school recruiting. Um, and I think they actually have done a better job in portal recruiting than they do in high school recruiting compared to these other programs, relatively speaking. So I uh, did a, a very, very good job in the portal this year. Um, I, I don't think that they, if you want to like nitpick one player, that's fine. But like, just as in totality, I thought they did an excellent job. Well, and to that end, I would also point out um, part of the, what Marcus Freeman referenced on signing day and some other times this fall, there's more communication. So they know who they can get in and who, who they can continue to pursue in the portal. And as you go into December, campus shuts down for two weeks and you don't always know you can get a guy in. So you don't even know necessarily if you can recruit him, whereas an Alabama, Georgia, Texas, if there's a guy in the portal that they want and he's been at another program, they know they're going to get that guy into school. So I think that factors into it as well. It forces Notre Dame to be leading edge um, because Notre Dame both wants to be and has to be. Would it's also fair to say now this is not the way you build your portal offseason, but Notre Dame lost four top 150 players or three top 150 players and Logan Diggs from the same class last April. There are quality players that go into the portal still, and a nickel can be in the portal. I mean, they they lost Logan Diggs and three top 150 players after the spring in is is a in the same class. That's nuts. So that is going to happen everywhere as the spring concludes. Can you imagine the outcry if at the end of December, Nordheim had two or three grad transfers at that point? I mean, I, I damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, you know, I, 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 I like seven of the eight players that they got in the transfer portal. Um, I'll take that 
Tim, ask the last question. <laughs> Why do you have it on here? Well, do you have an answer for well, me? There's okay. a re- yes, there's an actual reason. <laughs> right. because I, was I, was, wrong. I thought this was like an old outline from like no, a podcast three I was, months ago. I was wrong, and so I have to, I'm going to admit that I was wrong. All right, here we go. From Paul Mazur, good job. Paul Mazur, six. The 2024 schedule has only 11 games. Who is going to be the 12th opponent, and when and where will the game be played? A while back, Army and Yankee Stadium was the rumor. I have not heard that rumor yet, I want to say, but I'm going to go you ahead and heard that. No, haven't yeah, heard you that. haven't heard that rumor. Okay. Well, um, I was told that I was inaccurate in, in what I last said about this, and that was that there was some objection on Army's part to play the game against Notre Dame. That is not the issue. I'm told that Army, JB, you may know this, uh, Army is definitely the opponent. And we expect resolution by the end of the month as to when and where it will be. We've said the 11th game of the season, but there are two other open dates, correct? There are two other open dates. Um, So Army will be the opponent. And by the end of January, we'll know uh, where and when. I still expect it to be the 18th. I still expect it to be that, yeah. but Yeah, the 18th of November or what it is, and in New York. Um, there's been, I mean, unless, uh, something crazy changes, there's been site surveys and all of that. Um, so I would expect it to be in November and the, the penultimate game on the schedule. I don't know what the issue is with Yankee stadium, but apparently it's an issue. Um, so anyway, all I've heard here is that we don't know where it is. So I'm just going to say it's probably at Michi stadium. (laughs) That would be awesome. Yes, it that would. would be awesome. It would be fantastic. And you guys didn't hear the rumor that they're actually going to play it in San Diego? Yes. <laughs> no, that would I, mean, be... I take Lawson. it back. I'd rather go to San Diego than meet you stadium. Yeah. As long as we don't go back to that that dump of a stadium. That... Well, it doesn't no, exist I anymore. Disagree. So. Oh, that's what they tore it down. Okay, that's I right. would have I would have covered water polo in that dump of a stadium in the middle of November. That was beautiful. The poor Notre Dame fans are trying to get in, trying to get in the tunnels and get in the game. They missed the first quarter. That was a disaster for them. Sign, as Charlie Weiss would say with regarding uh, San Diego, sign me up. Yeah. I'll be all for that. That was great. Well, we appreciate you joining us here today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back next Thursday, January 25th. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, John Bryce, Pete Sampson. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>